You've reached Hoop and Holler, a Square One podcast on basketball and other shenanigans. Danny Green, I'm mad at Danny Green. I just want to thank everybody that's been in my corner during this time. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, man. I'm the clamp guy. I am the Giannis Antetokounmpo of Lion Center. Eddie Sun. Probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. Because <laughs> we don't got that clutch connection. And Julio Martinez. On uh, Giannis and the Bucks, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Please clap. It comes from at underscore underscore uh, KLU2 on Twitter. Bro, the fact that you knew there were two underscores before the to at underscore underscore KLU. He knows your that, Twitter. That means I'm tweeting it too much. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball. Welcome back to another episode of Hoop and Holler. Gentlemen, let's cut to the chase. How are we doing? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Um, See, since excited. we haven't played basketball recently, you can't say shit right now. <laughs> yeah. You can't say nothing, yeah. I, yeah. I, I didn't really have anything to say, but I am glad that Eddie finished, uh, finally finished Succession. Uh, I'm just trying to get Reagan to watch some of these great shows, too. Nah, man, I'm reading right now. I'm reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get some gotta, of that knowledge soaking up. Got to give props to that. But yeah, you know, like with the downtime and with NBA not happening right now or, or being in the off season, getting into all this TV that Julio's a big fan of and putting me on. Oh yeah, entertainment people out here as well. Oh yeah. You love to see it. We love intersectionalities and versatile journalism, all that good stuff. Julio, didn't you say you were going to do like a top 10 shows at some point? Mm. Yeah, I might do a top 10 shows that I watched in 2020 and a top 10 uh, Netflix shows. Mm. Y'all keep on the two, on the lookout for that. Julio's dropping all sorts of content your way. But let's go ahead and jump into today's episode. We got somewhat of a Christmas schedule. Woe's dropped the proposed Christmas schedule. We have Dennis Schroeder with some... Interesting comments, to say the least. LeBron might have something to say about that in the near future. And then finally, we're going to go through some suggested starting lineups for some interesting teams that might have some disputes across the league. We have the Lakers, the Hawks, the T-Wolves, and the Nets. But before we get into all that, let's talk about Christmas. That's coming up a lot quicker than I expected it to. It's really around the corner, um, just a few weeks away. In the Christmas slate, as it stands right now, you have Pelicans versus the Heat. Warriors versus the Bucks, Nets versus the Celtics, Mavericks versus the Lakers, Clippers versus the Nuggets. Y'all, how are we feeling about it? Oh wow! So someone's texting me. That's cool. Um, so I I I I didn't want to reiterate word for word what Eddie said in the chat, but it's kind of how I felt about the Lakers and the Mavericks and the Clippers matchup. So I, I guess everybody was going to expect that the Clippers were going to play the Lakers on opening night and Christmas Day, just like they did this past season. But um, it is kind of played out, and that's, you know, right out of, you know, th- those are words out of Eddie's mouth. Um, and whenever the Lakers played the Mavericks last year, I mean, great game is an understatement. Th- those games were really, really, really good. Um, and Luka, you know, he's not he's not a mini LeBron uh, uh, in the way, you know, LeBron plays, but that matchup is always one to watch out for. I'm, I'm just praying that, uh, uh, wait, no, KP won't even be there, huh? He's not even going to be healthy. So that's mm-hmm. unfortunate. But, um, you know, Luca playing the way he does, I love watching him. So uh, it, it's definitely going to be a sight to see. That That's the matchup I'm most looking forward to. Hmm. I think um, I'm glad that you pointed out, Reagan, because I totally forgot that Christmas games this year is literally like the second game after opening night so I also forgot that, you know, the whole opening night slate needs, you know, a whole slate of games that are also compelling. So at first I was kind of, uh, I guess, disappointed, mildly disappointed in the lineup. Um, it's been rumored that the Lakers would either play the Warriors or the Clippers. But um, I actually do like the Mavs there because the games last year were really good. And I think, you know, Luka and LeBron has a nice little contrast between, you know, the old Vanguard and like the new up-and-comer um, elsewhere, like the Clippers Nuggets one is cool too, especially because obviously the playoffs last year and then they go right back into it this season. But then in terms of like the earlier matchups, um, I'm not like totally sold on them. I wish they included the Sixers in there somewhere because I mean, if, if I were the NBA, I would try to market Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Like that's two mm. young superstars, likable players that you really want to see 
Um, I, I get why they're still trying to do this Zion Pelicans thing, but it really feels like, you know, like, like people will come around to Zion eventually. They have to stop trying to really like shove him down our throats like they did last season. We saw how that you know, played out. And then also like, you know, I, I like having the Warriors there and then Milwaukee, like, okay, that's interesting. But then also with the Warriors starting out in the East, like they might be playing Brooklyn for opening night, which would be kind of interesting that people have been throwing out. So I don't know. I think it's kind of mixed across the board. Um, it's one of those things where, I mean, obviously I'll be watching, but you would have maybe liked better matchups, but I still think it'll be good basketball. It's interesting that you brought up the Zion thing because that was the one game to me that felt like kind of forced and weird. This is the Pelicans versus the Heat. It's kind of like why. Like I can understand why you'd want to see the Warriors versus the Bucks. You have two of the NBA's best and brightest in Curry and Giannis. You have the whole storyline of could Giannis want to perhaps pursue a, a you know partnership with the Warriors in the future, all that stuff. Nets versus Celtics, two East powerhouses. Mavericks versus the Lakers, two of the best NBA players, arguably two top five NBA players. Clippers versus Nuggets, you have the 3-1 storyline. But the Heat and the Pelicans, it's like, why? It almost felt like the NBA felt like they needed to throw A, Zion, and B, the team who was the runner-up to last year's finals in the in there. So they just said, okay, throw those two together. To hell with it. But um, outside of that, I mean, like, sure. I, I think you brought up an astute point in saying that you kind of had to balance opening night with the Christmas Day games. Um, but there were a couple of teams that I felt like maybe deserved a spot on Christmas Day that didn't get there. I want to pose the question to you all. Who do you think might have gotten snubbed from, from Christmas Day? Um, I guess the, be the best players, and this is to Eddie's point about Ben Simmons and Embiid, uh, uh, the grand point being throwing stars out there. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Houston's not playing on Christmas Day, right? Houston's not playing. Yeah, so I, I would just say James Harden and the Houston Rockets easily, just off of sheer star power. Hmm. Um, I mentioned the Sixers already, so I'll go with another team. And um, I get why the NBA feels like they have to put Miami in these games because it would be kind of disrespectful to not put the you know, runner-ups in, in the Christmas Day slate. But I would probably have, you know, replaced the Pelicans with the Sixers and then the Heat. Um, you know, I kind of want to see Phoenix in there. You know, CP3, Devin Booker. Um, it would be kind of a nice little spotlight to give this, you know, Devin young Booker. team plus CP3, yeah. I guess. And obviously Devin Booker, give him a taste of the spotlight because I think he's yeah. really, really ready for it this season. Didn't they, like, tweet something or somebody tweeted something in dispute of that or the, the Phoenix Suns Twitter account, something. There was something that was like a some sideways look at the NBA for not including them on the Christmas Day slate. How about the Hawks, man? I, I feel like if the NBA was smart... I knew. <laughs> I, I, knew I very much like the Hawks this year. I, I think it's about time. If we're talking about dudes who are going to be marketable for the NBA going forward, Trey Young's at the very top of that list among the Zion Williamson's and Lu the Luka Doncic's of the world. And if, if the NBA was smart, right, you're in Atlanta, you're in a hotbed for American culture, you have a guy like Trey Young, you have up-and-coming players, and you have solidified stars in the league right now, Push that to the to your viewership. I, I think that that'd be smart. I, I I agree with you, but and maybe it's see. Th this is my point. I agree with you. I just don't don't think the Hawks are good enough to compete with another, you know, good to great team. They could throw them in there with the Pelicans. The Pelicans can be out there. I think the Hawks can be out there. That's fair. And, and that, 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 that was, that was the only whole, weak uh, point. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's my whole argument about the Pelicans. Like, I, I don't think they're good enough to be competing with the other nine teams on here. And I get the whole Zion thing, but, like, I mean, I guess I'm just repeating my words, but last year it really blew up in the NBA's faces, and they're trying to do this, like, artificial, like, forced exposure, forced publicity thing with that team. And, you know, it's just not necessary right now. You know, throw, throw another good team in there instead. Hmm. Interesting, interesting stuff. As always, you know, I feel like, the Grizzlies could have been in there, but, you know, maybe, that, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just the 901 blood coursing through my veins. But let's go ahead and move on to something else, man. Something interesting, Dennis Schroeder. <laughs> what, y'all not a fan Re of the Memphis Re State? Reagan, Reagan says uh, uh, 901 like everybody knows. You know, bro, okay, you've heard the song 901 Shelby Drive, Look Alive. That was Drake. You You heard that song. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying. Shelby Drive is a road that goes through Memphis. That's 
Black Boy JB, 901 Shelby Drive, look alive. That is Memphis. The beat is Memphis. Doom, 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 doom. Like that, come on. That's that's like a Memphis thing. Yeah. It's funny that the dude who shouted out the 901 is from Toronto, but that's what different there. Exactly. His dad's from Memphis. My dad is from Memphis. I should yeah. just move into Graceland. Like, come on. Like, what are we? I feel like that's only a fact that Memphis, people from Memphis know. And that when, he, when he literally said it. He literally said it. My dad is from Memphis. I should just move into Graceland. That's a Drake lyric. Anyways, let's move on. Let's move on. We have Dennis Schroeder coming out with some interesting comments saying that he feels like he can contribute to a Lakers starting lineup. Um, obviously, a lot of people thought he'd be coming in and kind of playing the pseudo Lou Williams role, playing with in the pick and roll with Montrezl Harrell coming off the bench. But clearly, he views himself as a starter on this Lakers team. Do you guys agree, disagree? What are your thoughts on those comments? You see, I, I don't so, blame uh, him. I, I, oh, you want to go first? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so remember last year when everyone was making a big deal about like Lakers and drama and potentially like things blowing up in their faces and everyone thought like maybe they wouldn't get along or, or something, this and that. I feel like because they won the championship last year and this year they, they had such a good off season that people kind of see them as like a more rosy team, which is good. I think it, it was really overblown last off season, but at the same time, the, the Dennis Schroeder comments is not the type of stuff you, you want to see from a team that's, you know, coming off, a um, you know championship and you know if Dennis Schroeder has any sort of like self-awareness he would know that he's been such a valuable contributor coming off the bench and he's also been a really awful starter when he's had the chance to start um and if you look at the Lakers team why why would he want to start you're just you know you're not going to get touches over LeBron and Anthony Davis and if you're coming off the bench well, like all of a sudden, you're kind of like the the igniter. You're kind of like the yeah. spark for a bench unit that can push the pace, you know, increase the energy, and he'd probably get more scoring opportunities there anyway. So, I don't know. I feel like it's one of those things where you know Dennis Schroeder once essentially forced Atlanta to choose between him and Jeff Teague because he felt that he should start, and we saw how that turned out. And you don't want you know similar vibes coming from the Lakers locker room this season. Yeah, I mean, not only is it not a good sign for a team who just won the championship, but it's not a good sign for a team who just won the championship who, you know, more than maybe any other team other than maybe Miami, uh, was such a close-knit roster. I mean, maybe it's because I'm so biased and I follow tons of Laker, Laker accounts and, you know, I'm always watching Access Sportsnet, but the camaraderie between, you know, the guys on that team last year was was pretty spectacular. Like, no, there was no drama. There was no, you know, I should be starting. I should be, you know, in this role other than, or, or not in this one. Um, so hearing this was disappointing uh, uh, for me. But on the other hand, he did mention that his agent did let Rob Palinka know that this was kind of like a condition of his. And if that's the case then Rob Palinka is not going to sign off on things. And, you know, credit to Rob Palinka on all these moves that he's made in the offseason. But, I mean, this is something that LeBron, if that statement was true, this is something that LeBron, AD, Rob Palinka, and Frank Vogel, I feel like, uh, had to be okay with in bringing him in. Like, I mean, I feel like this was just a condition. And, I mean, I'm not glad to hear it because, again, I think he is best fitted and suited coming off the bench. But if this was a condition, I feel like LeBron and Rob Palenka have nothing to be surprised at. See, that's news to me. I didn't realize that that was a a rumored precondition of his signing that they told him that he'd be starting. That's interesting. He said it. He said it. He said it. He said it. Schroeder said it, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no. You misheard me, Dennis. I said you'd be playing starters minutes. I did not, I did not say and, you would be starting. <laughs> and, and, he, and here's the thing with me, like, I know that used to be the thing or, you know, I, I want to be the starter. But to me, the more important thing now, at least, is or what's fo- focused on more now is I want to be in the finishing five. Agreed. That that that's the, that's the most important thing. That's the more important thing, at least. So will he be part of the finishing five? Of course he will. 
Um, should he be the starter, in my opinion? No, but I, I guess it was part of the condition of him getting traded there. Time can only tell. That's interesting. I did not know that. Thanks for bringing that to our attention, Julio. But we'll use that as a stepping stone to get into our final segment of the day. We're going to be talking about the starting lineups for four teams that we found to be interesting across the league. Why don't we go ahead and start with the Lakers since we're on the subject? Who would be your guys' starting five for the Lakers? So at at the one, running the one, I got Braun. Uh, filling in for Danny Green, I got Wes, his replacement. Probably a better Danny Green for much cheaper. Uh, KCP's KCP uh, for what he did last year on the team even though I'm like one of his biggest critics there's really no one else I'm not starting Kuzma I don't want Caruso in that role I'd rather have Caruso coming off the bench um, and then I have AD and Marcus uh, I'm you know that lineup is essentially the same from last year's you're just replacing Wes with or, or Danny Green with Wes and instead of having a shot blocking JaVale McGee, you have a three point shooting Marcus Saul. So I, I feel like you can unlock more stuff on offense with Marcus Saul. Um, and, and you can be more dangerous that way. And then coming off the bench, which is what I wanted to get to, too, uh, I, I want Schroeder and, you know, Montrez running that Lou Will Montrez type of role when Braun and AD go to the bench. Because I really think they can be, you know, AD and Braun can rest more and, Schroeder and Montrez can really be lethal coming off the bench against other teams. So that that's the way I would kind of run uh, uh, my starting lineups and, and bench squad. Hmm. I mean, that's literally mine verbatim. I had LeBron at the one, which I should emphasize. We've had this discussion in the group chat. I think there's no disputing that he's a, he's a guard, not a wing, because if we're he's both a saying, he's, a wing. he's a guard, if we both just said it, he's at the one. I mean, wings not, can do. Wing, wing, wings do what guards do at a bigger size. That's why they're better. That's why they're the best position. Ben I mean, Simmons, guard, winger guard. Guards are the most skilled. Ben Simmons is a big. Ben Simmons is he's big. A big. He's a big in an ideal situation, but as the 76ers he's use a, him, winger guard. He's still a big that's bringing up the ball. He's still a big that's bringing up the ball. And this is why wings are the best position. People don't understand this. Guards have the most skill on an NBA court. They're the most skilled. But wings can do what guards do, or most of what they can do, like 95%. But they're just taller, stronger, and can defend more. See, this this is and, interesting. Because it feels like you, you define players based on their skill set rather than how they're used. Which I'm not sure, like, I, I, I would prefer to go how they're used, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to say, this is how X player profiles... But I prefer to look at this is how X player is used in their system. Braun is a guard for the Lakers. Well, well, look if uh, if they had a if a team decided to say Dwight Howard come run pick and rolls for me is he a guard now? A very he's sorry not. one, yes. <laughs> be like that, yeah, you'd be oh, dumb boy. to do that. He'd be. On, tra- I mean, come shoot, on, is Ben Simmons not a guard for the Seventy no, Sixers? He's a big. He's a big. That's why the Sixers, you know, have been just malpractice misusing them. Misusing but I'm them. saying that's how I, that's how I'm looking at players is how they're being utilized by their teams, not how they're profiled. That's two different discussions, right? No, we can I, talk about I, how I, Ben Simmons would be a better big than he is a guard. I agree with y'all on that. But as he stands with the so, 76ers. So, so he's a big. He's a big he's a that big. can be misused a, as a guard. Yes, yes. So he is a guard. No, he's being misused he's a as a guard. Sure, but we, we, we can throw all the sprinkles like, on it, like, but that like, means he's a like, guard they, that would like be they, better they at playing big. Square, they put a square peg in a round hole, it's still a square sure, peg. Sure, agreed, but it's still it's still in the hole though. Like you know what I mean? Like it's still oh it's the God. it's the any anyway, I we yeah. just, it, that we're we're digressing right now. Who I I agree with you, Julio, on your starting lineup. Eddie, who would be your starting lineup for the Lakers? So Alex Caruso has went from a guy who's got too much hype, and now he's getting disrespected too much. Um, he should be a starter, like no doubt, because he's the perfect low usage, high um, you know outcome sort of player that every starting lineup needs when you already have two other stars. You know he'll cut like we all talk about how great yes. of a cutter he is. You know, great perimeter defender, can't shoot, but like you know whatever. We, we they apparently didn't even need that much shooting as we saw in the playoffs. So I would go with Caruso, um, KCP, 
Uh, LeBron at the at the three, AD at the four. I mean, it's all formality. I guess LeBron can be at the one or whatever. And then uh, Marcus Gasol at the five. So it's just Caruso should be in the starting lineup for me. And here's, then, here's my... then, then you talk about the bench. Then you have, you know, a bench wing that you can plug and play. And then you have Schroeder and Montrez that you can plug and play. So it just gives you a little bit more versatility, more options, you know, more chess pieces to go with um, as, you know, the game goes on. I, I mean, here, here's my thing about Caruso in the starting lineup. As much as I love him as, as a role player, and for all the, all the metrics people say and point to that whenever him and Braun are on the court, they're like the most lethal duo in the NBA, but um, I would just prefer to have more shooting around Braun and AD and Wesley Matthews. Uh, that That's just my preference. And to have Caruso, you know, in the second unit next to Schroeder. Um, but yeah, that, that's just my preference. Agreed. And I kind of look at it I like kinda, a, a, I kind of in... wonder. Go ahead. My bad. I just kind of wonder if you have two wings, S and KCP in the lineup that, uh, can't really do much with the ball in their hands. Um, are you asking Braun to literally do like everything all the time? Because at least what Caruso can Welcome do to the Lakers. is draw in defenses. <laughs> but, he, but 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 here's my thing with that lineup that I'm throwing out there, or that you know Reagan and I are throwing out there. You're not really a, a transition team. I mean, what they showed last year, th- this lineup is just like last year's lineup. It's very methodical. It's very half-court centric. Um, Braun is controlling the ball, and he's not really pushing it uh, other than, you know, uh, uh, full-court passes. But other than that, you know, this this, this lineup is very methodical and half-court centric. So I, I don't really think you need to worry about too many ball-handling responsibilities on LeBron. I guess, but I mean, they were also a, a mediocre half-court team last year. If they're smart, they'd look to run more honestly. But yeah, yeah. Also, I will say that just the idea of a Dennis Schroeder, Montrezl Harrell, Alex Caruso—just the energy that that bench lineup brings—that's yes. tantalizing yes. for me. Because at the very least, I know because I saw this Lakers bench squad kind of get punked in certain moments of last year. Not to say that they were bad, but there were just moments where, especially oh, when you're yeah. going against the Clippers, right? And they they had teams that just had more energy than they did, and they didn't have anything to stand up to in, in those moments. But having those three, there's no way that you're not going to have enough energy coming off the bench, and I, I think that's important. <laughs> And the thing about uh, uh, the benefit, or I, I guess how you could still play Schroeder and Montrez together while also starting Schroeder uh, is by playing LeBron, I guess, like the first five, six minutes, maybe four or five minutes, sub him out, play AD another like two minutes after that and sub him out immediately and have Schroeder go with the length of the first quarter and sub in Montrez once AD goes out. Um, but yeah, ideally you want Schroeder and Trez playing at the same time as your bench unit when AD and LeBron are off the court to supplement that scoring. Mm. You might be going to the second quarter losing, but uh, that's not a bad yeah. idea. Uh, I just don't think, yeah, I basically maximize the amount of time that LeBron's on the court. Cause yes. that's, that's the guy. Um, let's go ahead and keep it pushing. Let's talk about Atlanta, a team that I was just bringing up with the Christmas day games. Who do we think should start for Atlanta? They made a lot of interesting moves. You picked up Gallo. You picked up some solid veterans who know how to play. You also have a young pieces that, you know, their development is still on the track right now. So it's going to be an interesting balance to see how we kind of go about plugging in veterans versus young pieces here. Eddie, I'll start with you. Who's your who's your starting lineup for the Hawks? So apparently uh, Atlanta said that Gallinari already agreed to come off the bench, a part of when, when he hey. signed with Atlanta, which is weird to me. Like, Who's why yours, you though? Pay? I know, I know. I'm just, you know, contextualizing. Because if it was me, you're paying this dude $21 million. He's also good enough to be paid $21 million. And he's good enough to be in your starting lineup. So if it was me, obviously you start Trey at the one. Um, Herder is good, but, you know, at this point in time, Bogdan is the better player and the better fit, I think. So he's the two... Um, I'd go with Hunter to start at the three because, um, you know, he, he's just been a little bit better of a shooter than Cam Reddish at this point. But, you know, I think Cam Reddish has the ability to improve and maybe overtake that starter spot. But I'd start with Hunter at the three. And then I'd go Gallo at the four, Clint Capella at the five. Oh. Um, 
And it's unfortunate because I think John Collins is a really good player, but I don't know where he would fit coming off the bench, which is why you should look into trading him. But yeah, you just have a bench squad with a lot of um, you know, a lot of talented players too. Like a Rondo John Collins bench unit is 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 a lot of you know passing and firepower there, along with Cam Reddish and Kevin Herter. It's like it's almost like you have two starting lineups. That that yeah. team is pretty deep, like not deep on like talent, but just deep on people that can do things. I guess. Yeah. Um, my my starting lineup, I think, was kind of uh, uh, obvious in my head was. Trey at the one, Bogdan at the two, Danilo at the three, uh, and I know I, I get I get your point in playing Danilo at the four just because he's a little bit older, he's a, he's slower, he's not the best defender, um, and then I, I but I'd still want him at the three. I'd play John Collins at the four and Capella at the five. At first, I thought you were gonna go with John Collins at the five, just because knowing you and your history with commentary on bigs. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought you were gonna play him at the five at first. But um, yeah, off the bench, I got Rondo, Rondo at the one, Herder at the two, Radish at the three, Hunter at the four, and, and Onyeka at the five. Um, I don't really like Hunter in your starting lineup, and, and I know he's a, he's a solid defender and he'd be you know just a role player. But I I, I don't know what it is about him, whether it's his decision making or his ability or inability to handle the ball. I just don't like DeAndre Hunter. And, and I, I feel like from, you know, a metric standpoint with his measurables or whatever, he, he seems like he'd be a good solid role player. But to me, he's just, I don't know. I, I just don't like his game. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I, I'll, I'll let y'all in on what I'm thinking with mine. And basically it's that kind of like I alluded to in last episode, Trey Young, as great as he is, as masterful he is on offense, as great of a passer he is, as great as he is in the pick and roll, the dude cannot defend worth a lick. So if I'm looking at my starting lineup, I'm probably looking for guys who can kind of do their best to hide Trey Young defensively. So I have Trey Young at point guard. I have Cam Reddish actually at the two guard. I, I, I'm kind of, maybe this is just the 2K in me, but I really like the idea of putting wings on guards. Because a lot of times that those guys do a pretty good job of shutting him down. I have Gallo at the... Actually, no. I have Hunter at the three. I have Gallo at the four. And I have Capella at the five. That is my starting five. So what happened to your uh, John Collins love? I love John Collins, but I feel like if I'm doing the best job of hiding Trey Young defensively... I would be better served at throwing. And the thing was, I had to have Gallo in there because if it's me, I have to have some secondary source of offense. I can't just go in there with Trey Young and that's it, right? So I had to this, have Gallo. But this so, man is, so Steve, if, if if you were like a, a head coach or someone who had to you know make these sort of decisions, this is where I feel like you get in trouble. Where you're playing to to be, you're playing because you fear your weaknesses instead of playing to to you know strength. highlight your strengths. Hmm. Because if you're the Hawks, like, you know, if any reasonable person will be like, okay, that's a bottom 10 defensive team, no matter what sorts of roster pieces you can configure together. So why not try to make this team into a top five offense if you can, right? And if you're Do putting you in feel like Reddish they're and Hunter, bottom five regardless? I feel like Trey Young I mean, I alone. bottom 10 defense, but maybe, maybe bottom five, yeah. I'm looking at looking well, I, at Trey Young and Gallo are. alone. I feel like my offensive upside is probably top ten as so long as I have those two in the game. Now I'm trying to raise my defensive but you're floor. Asking, but you're asking the Hawks to basically do what they did last year, except you know their players take a little bit of a jump. They're young players. I just is it? I mean, they they brought in all these pieces to be a really good offensive team to make sure that Trey doesn't have to handle. I mean, the like, only difference here is that I don't have Bogdan starting, which, you know, I like Bogdan in his role coming that off the bench. That is disrespectful. Th- it's not is disrespectful. So disrespectful. I think by, are you asking me who I think are the best five players on Atlanta? Or are you asking me who I would start? I I would well, not I, dispute the I, fact I, that Bogdan's one of the five best players on Atlanta's roster right now, but I like him in his role coming off the bench for Sacramento. He's going to be in my mean, finishing five for have, sure. But to have, to have Cam Reddish in your starting lineup, Cam Reddish, the defensive upside for me, man, his defensive upside is ridiculous. The dude can move at his size. Is is, is but honestly, he, but he's 
but he's like setting you back so far on offense. Is Unless he? Yeah. he like, becomes amazing. I mean, Cam Reddish, I think it had a lot more to show offensively than we saw last season. At the very I least, mean, he can that, be a good spot that, of shooter. That, that, that's what that's what's been said ever since he was at Duke and broke out benched by Coach K. Did he get benched? I just don't like the. I mean, yeah, yeah. Did he? I, I don't remember yeah, him getting benched. Did he get benched? It was like a he. He like didn't play one game. You sure he wasn't hurt? No, it, it had nothing to do with an injury. Anyways, we di- we digress. Go ahead. Go ahead. Eddie. Everything would t- but, everything about Cam Reddish would tell you. You know, he's a six six. You know, guy who can jump high and can you six know, nine. His shot is six nine guy who can jump high. His form looks nice. He he maybe can shoot well one day, and he he's fast as hell and quick as hell. But he's just not a good player. He's not a good player. You're drawing some I mean, lofty not, conclusions after not, a year of basketball, bro. I'm not I'm not that low on him, but I feel like the way you outlined your your lineup philosophy kind of tells it all. Like. Why? Like, why would anyone be so scared that Trey is a is a poor defender? Like, okay, he, he's a he's a fucking trash defender. But like, what is this team gonna do this year? Win a championship? No. So why are you so worried about holes in your roster when you might as well put together the team that fits best to your strength and see what they can do? You know, it's like you don't have to worry about all like these little machinations right now. Like, if Atlanta's good enough where they're competing for a championship. Yeah, you got to start talking about what do I do with Trey on defense. But right now, just sell Trey to get better in his fundamentals and, you know, put out the best possible, you know, best fitting juggernaut of a team that you can, you know, if, if it's possible. I mean, I guess that's just a difference in philosophy, whereas, um, you know, trying to plug holes where they exist and trying to maximize on the team. I can also understand the philosophy of just saying, let me get better at what's ultimately going to be the cornerstone of my team moving forward rather than trying to plug up holes now. Um, difference in philosophy, I, I suppose. Get, I get plugging holes where they are, obviously, but you can't plug holes one place and then, you know, take from another to plug those holes. Then you start talking about, like, it's a zero sum, but then, you know, like, what are you prioritizing, right? It's like, it, I think it's kind of a delicate balance there. It's, it's going to be interesting. I, I Frankly, I mean, especially you, Julio, I just think Cam Reddish has a lot more than what you've described him uh, as so far. But I mean, he has all the measurables. but Not even the measurables. The like, the dude moves. I mean, like, when you see him play, like, it hadn't looked that great last year, but I, I don't, I'm not out on Cam Reddish as an offensive threat, not by any stretch. He's he's got to shoot better for sure though, cause like I like yeah. him too. I like I like I think he projects well, but he can't shoot thirty seven from the field, thirty from three or whatever it was like he did last year. Yeah. All right, Timberwolves. Let's talk about it. At the one, I got D'Lo running my point, um, and I know some people like playing with him at the two. My thing with D'Lo is that he dominates the ball so much. I'm not. He's obviously not a high usage rate like like Luca James or, you know, LeBron, but he does undoubtedly dominate the ball a lot. So I'd have him at, at my point running the show, running the offense, and he's great in transition. He's a great passer, willing passer, great in the pick and roll and, and you know, all, all that sort of stuff. At the two, I got Malik Beasley. You just, in my mind... Really? I... I, I I told you guys this. I know he's talented. You was, you was dragging that man in the group chat, bro. I know. I, <laughs> I wouldn't have paid him just because of who I just drafted with mm. Anthony Edwards, but you pay him that much money, you, you it's like you almost have to start him. The only way I wasn't going to start him was if, uh, and I asked you guys if Okogi was a good shooter, and he's not. It, it was as simple as looking up his three-point percentage and it's 26%. That is atrocious. So I got Malik Beasley at my, at my shooting guard. Um, I got Anthony Edwards at my three, and I know he's a shorter player. He's not, you know, the six eight type of guy you want, but I feel like he has an NBA ready body to be able to ha- handle that uh, uh, wing load, I guess, perimeter load. And at my four, I got Ernan Gomez, one of my favorite guys, just because there's not a lot of Latinos in the NBA. This is my guy, um, but yeah, I, his strength is obviously shooting the ball. So I got him at my four and then Cat at my five. Man, that is interesting. I think that might be the most disparity that we see all day on, on in terms of our starting I lineups. I mean, really, the only other 
forward you have is maybe Jared Culver. I don't know if you want him next to Edwards and Beasley and D'Lo. And that's... And and Omari Spellman or Nas Reed. Well, we know that you're going to have Mrs. Pippen pulling up to your game, so that should be interesting. Oh, God. Eddie, who's your starting lineup? So I actually want to pair Rubio and D'Lo together because D'Lo's looked good as a two in the past, and um, we saw last year with the Rubio-Booker thing, it works. Like, it really works, and I think Rubio has kind of reformed himself into a player that everyone was like, oh, he can't shoot, into a player that we realize he's actually a lot better than that kind of narrative. And also D'Lo's really good at, you know, catch-and-shoot, relocating threes, coming off screens and, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I'd go Rubio and D'Lo at the one and two. I'd play Beasley at the three, so essentially, I'd have a three-guard lineup, which will leak all sorts of points defensively. And you just really hope that those three provide, like, a shit ton of points, along with Hernan Gomez at the four and Cat at the five. Like, if you construct that sort of lineup like how I construct it, you're just essentially, um, you know, pinning yourself to be the 30th-ranked defense in the league. Yeah, you, but you're really you're leaning into like, the offense. Why do you care? Hey, man. Like, go be a top-five offensive team. And you know, have fun with it. Just jack up shots. You so, know, play fast, play wild. Take take sixty threes a game. Score one fifty, and try not to give up one sixty. You're reckless. You're reckless. <laughs> You're reckless. Um, no. So you don't have Okogi in your lineup. That's interesting. I mean, Okogi can't do anything on one end of the floor. So, oh wow, you just hate defense. I. Julio hates it's, it's big people, just, and like, you he hate he, defense. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't hate it. He just prioritizes like, one thing over the other. Jeez. That, like, like, at what cost? start him over Malik Beasley? Yes. Get you a good guard so like coming Malik off the bench. Beasley last year, Malik Beasley last year was shooting like 42% on threes and all sorts of threes, deep threes. Real Great. Threes like, that's going to be an awesome piece to have coming off the bench. Like, you can't just not play defense. You just said, I'm not going to play any defense. That's what you just told us. We're just going to run out here with our five best offensive players and call it a day. We can't do that. The only the only way a theoretical version of that Timberwolves team works is if they play five out. And not like a fake five out, like a true five out. So if you have like five legit shooters out there. And I know Rubio's not a legit shooter. He shot 40% oh. from catch and shoot um, on threes last year. And if you have five like real threats that defenses have to care about, like, I mean, if you, if you, all sorts of you know positions trying to guard that next year. If you tr- if you truly want five threats, then you would just run D'Lo, Beasley, Edwards, uh, Culver, and Cat out there. Screw it. Yeah, but also you don't know Be if about Edwards it. and Culver have that in their game. I know that Beasley can run around the court and jack up threes, and I know Ernan Gomez can do the same. Interesting. Well, I have Rubio. This one's actually interesting because I didn't go with Ernan Gomez. I actually went with Ed Davis, and I'm kind of running a a power forward version of Carl Anthony Towns. But I have Rubio, I have D'Lo, I have Okogi, I have Cat, and I have Ed Davis. So kind of like a a mix. Not a mix of your two, but I don't know. It's its its own thing. That team team cannot shoot, though. D'Lo can shoot. D'Lo can shoot. But Rubio straight, cat can shoot. I feel like, I mean, again, I'm not going to, I will never throw a, a, a lineup that's going to be defensively liable. That's just me. I'm not going to throw out, you know, I'm not going to doom myself to get scored on. The objective of the game is to like score more points than your opponent. So I'm going to at least try to not let my opponent score at, at will. So that that's the point of having a Kogi. See, see, you are, you are no fun in this regard, in my I, humble opinion. I like, like defense. Defense is extremely team? fun. What, but, What's the fun of having a team that's like 15th in offense and 20th in defense when you can have like a top five offense and the 30th defense? But at least, you know, the offense. I think you're making some broad generalizations of how like good, you know, the offense is going to be if you're just running around jacking up shots. Like you might have some really crazy nights, but you're also going to have some really piss poor nights. I mean. All I know is I saw Washington last year become a top ten offense with Bradley Beal and a bunch of shooters. So I I know it can I, be done. I mean, do you have anyone out here on the level of Bertans? Ernan Gomez, yeah. maybe. 
Oh nah. Gomez. Oh nah. Are we really? Are, are is this not, what we're doing? Not to that level. Not to that level. Okay. At least okay. At least we can agree on that one. That that that's not. Uh, well, I mean, Bertans is a different Kat dude. Is cat is to that level, but obviously cat is like a superstar, so you can't really compare cat to to Bertans there. But in terms of shooting, he is on that level. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we move on to our last team of the day, and then call it a day. The Brooklyn Nets. This one was interesting for me. What about y'all? Yeah, th- this one is super, super interesting. And as everyone knows who listens to this pod, my four favorite players on this team is Kyrie KD, Jarrett Allen, and Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, uh, very, very, like, I-, I love him so much just because I-, I always wanted him to come to L.A. But this one was tough for me because I had to leave him on my bench. Hmm. I got Kyrie at the one. Joe Harris at the two, obviously. Um, I got Torian Prince at the three to supplement my defense just to have one wing defender. You're not just going to go out there and jack up 73s a night? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Who can also shoot the ball, especially on corner threes, I think. Um, I'm going to run KD at the four so he can maybe be matched up with slower dudes. And I got... Uh, I have, I obviously have Jared Allen at the five. So coming off my bench, I have Dinwiddie at the one, just because he's proven himself in college and in the NBA that he can. He's, he, he's a good. He's a good distributor of the ball. He can play point. Um, and then at the two, I got Shamit. Then three, Levert. Uh, they're kind of. They don't have a lot of depth at, at, at four. So I got uh, Timothy Luwawu. I think his name was. Oh, Kurix. Um, what about Kurix? Kurux can ball. Maybe him. I, I, the, the reason why I, cho- I chose Timothy is because he, he shot 38% from three last year. Mm. And then DeAndre Jordan at my, at my five. Again, it was hard for me to leave Dinwiddie off my starting lineup, but I think it, it you, you have to just because you have so many ball-dominant guys uh, in the Nets starting lineup already. And Joe Harris just fits perfectly w- with the rest of the guys here. Mm. So the thing with having a roster with so many good pieces is that you have to maximize how they're used. So, like you, I don't have. Um, do you have Karras in any of them? He had him in his in bench. My, in my second lineup. Did you? I forgot if you even said Karras. But um, yeah. So like when you have um, Dinwiddie and Karras, and and I don't have them in my sp- starting lineups. I think they're even better when you put them on yes. the bench. Um, yes. So the question is, I think the biggest question with this team is who do you put at the three? Because like you, I have Katie at the four. Um, you could either go with like Torian Prince. I, I I get that, but I mean he's been kind of defensively shaky in his you know couple of years in the league so far. So obviously I have um, Irving at the one. Um, I'm actually going to put Bruce Brown at the two, and um, it's because Bruce Brown is a player I really like. He works really well as a role player. He passes the ball. He defends the perimeters you know uh the, the best guard on the opposing perimeter and you know if, if you can get the shooting up a little bit which i think you can it'll be really good um joe what? harris at the three kevin durant at the four and then this is gonna make reagan really mad but he's not even in the screen right now i start <laughs> deandre jordan because you can't make Kyrie and kd mad what? and so if i'm you know if, if i'm steve nash <laughs> no. i have to i have to think about you know, I, that's, like, that's fair. how do I keep that's my fair. guys happy? So I have to start. I have to start DeAndre Jordan, even though I would rather start Jared that, Allen. And that's fair because I was going to say no. Uh, uh, my response to you was going to be no. But what's your starting lineup? But if you're the coach, then I understand that. Jared Allen, as we all know, is the much better player at this point in his career. Um, and obviously, if if you do start DeAndre, you're going to play Jared Allen more. But I do understand that sentiment. As a first-time head coach, you don't want to piss your star players off. So I, I, I guess I'll, I'll take it. But, you know, we all know that Jared Allen, Allen is obviously the much better player. Absolutely. And, I mean, full stop, I 100% expect DeAndre Jordan to be the starter first game next season. Eddie, you've done Just some egregious things on this podcast before. But this might take the fucking cake, dude. Bruce Brown. Is your starting two guard for the Brooklyn Nets? 
That might piss off KD and Kyrie, dog. <laughs> yeah, if you're talking about some like I don't want to, I want to keep Kyrie and no, KD I, happy. You're starting Bruce Brown. He's a guy that will make them really happy. He doesn't demand the ball in his hands. He does all the dirty work that Kyrie and KD probably won't want to do in terms of the defense. He distributes the ball really well, and he's just a high energy guy that you know keeps the. That's Torian Prince. I'm. I'm Torian Prince. I'm not gonna sit up here and dispute. Any of really it. I won't dispute. I won't dispute any of that. I'm sure Bruce Brown can hoop. Matter of fact, I'm not even gonna. I'll just say it. Bruce Brown can hoop, but he's starting for not, this Brooklyn Nets say, team. I'm not saying he's like in the top uh, eight talents on that team. But when I talk about you have to distribute your talents evenly, I want Paris to have the ball in his hands a lot, so he's not going to start. I want Dinwiddie to have Dinwiddie. the ball in his hands yes. a lot, so he's not going to start. You know, I, like, I like Tor- Torian Prince, but he can't defend, like, throughout his career. He hasn't proved that he can defend so far, and you just want sound defensive people, especially guys that can guard opposing guards that Kyrie won't want to, you know, defend against. It, in my opinion, you have to bring Dinwiddie and Lever off the bench. I feel like that's a, a must to unlock what, you, you know, what what gets lauded about this Brooklyn Nets roster is how deep they are and how, you know, how they have so many guys who can do so many different things. And to optimize that, to Eddie's point, you got to have those two guys coming off the bench, in my opinion. That, I, I have no words. I have no words. Bruce there, Brown. There's no way Bruce Brown is that much of a – because otherwise it would have been Torrey and Prince. Like, are we that twisted over – Bruce Brown versus Tory and Prince. Well, I'll just say I have somewhat of an opposite philosophy. Contrary to what you guys have been saying about maximizing, you know, everybody. And I understand that. But at a certain point, and I know I didn't do this with the Hawks because the Hawks aren't a championship team. And I just want to plug up holes. But if I have enough talent to just flood you and you're going to be overwhelmed with how good my players are, I'm going to do that. Kyrie, Dinwiddie, Spencer, or, or Joe Harris, KD, Jared Allen. You're not messing with me. not a good off-the-ball. He's not a great off-the-ball player. Is he not? I, I felt like at the beginning nah. of last season, he was pretty straight playing next to Kyrie. He's, he's not I mean, a great shooter. It's not going to ma- – I, I will say, I'll, I'll admit to the fact that it won't maximize what Dinwiddie is. That's why you have to stagger minutes and make sure he also gets run at the role that he's best suited for. But, hell, Spencer Dinwiddie, he proved himself to be, what, darn near 20 points a game last year? I feel like I'm putting my best five the, out. You, well, you just gave me the finishing five. That That's my finishing five. Oh, yeah. And it's my starting five, too. Like, shoot, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't need to beat around the bush here. I have the best starting five in the NBA. I'm going to throw out my best five players, and you're not going to be able to do anything with it. Bruce Brown. See, now you're talking all this about keeping Kyrie and KD happy. I mean, how do you think KD's going to feel when Levert jacks up 25 shots in a game like he's done his whole career? I mean, Levert's not in my starting lineup. KD's going to be calling for the ball. Levert's not in my starting lineup. Levert at the three. Mm. Kyrie, Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, KD. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said best talent. Then what you put Levert at the three? Oh, no, 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 no. Because Joe Harris is better than Karis Levert. Oh, yeah. Like, as a basketball talent skills-wise? No, I'm gonna have to give that. As much as I love Joe Harris, that I mean, in terms of like value to the court, right? Like, if we're just playing one on one, then sure, Karis Levert. But if I'm saying I can get a guy who defends at a higher level than you would expect him to, and then arguably the best shooter in the NBA, that's worth a lot more to me on a basketball court than Karis Levert when I already have but what, two guys. I mean, who can what's do... worth? See, what's see, what's see, worth more a lot to of... you on a basketball to you? On a court to you, what's worth more is having is maximizing Dinwiddie and Levert off the bench. I mean, sure, that's why I'm going to make sure my minutes are staggered where Dinwiddie gets to do his thing as well as playing next to to Kyrie. But hell, I'm not going to beat around the bush and have any chance. Of it. I feel like that's where that's the rabbit hole that the Nets, if there is one for them to fall down, besides maybe like team chemistry issues, it's like trying to get too cute with stuff. Just put your best five out there and roll. You have the best, you know, the most talented roster in this league. Go run with it. I mean, I mean, why, why not? Why not just start Schroeder, Braun, AD, because you don't have Trez. the best. You don't have the best to start in five in the league, and uh, that's like I mean, one that's egregious. Like if you look at this lineup, this is not an talent, egregious fit. 
is Kyrie, Kyrie Dinwiddie, Harris, KD, and Jared Allen an egregious fit? Dinwiddie's not Din, as much as is I it egregious? It's not. It's not ideal. I won't. I won't dispute that it's not ideal. Is it egregious? Because I feel be like Schroeder, LeBron, and Montrez. That's egregious. To be effective, Dinwiddie has to have the ball in his hands. So he's going to be ineffective next to Kyrie. Kind of. Kind Ooh. of. I don't know about that one, dog. Eddie Wayne. Yeah, I feel like he wants to be traded too. I can see that one. I I I might agree with you there. He kind of. They they did run a lot of like. Kyrie Dinwiddie one two lineups, but I think it only works for a little bit, like like three minute bursts where you need to overwhelm people with like dual ball handling threats. I don't think I don't think it works over you know thirty six minutes together. Well, you, that's you why know, that's why you got to stagger the minutes. I'm, I'm not saying that you just attach Kyrie. I, actually, and... so I'm not I'm not even um, mad that you're talking about. Let's throw the best talent in the lineup. Like that that's a totally sound philosophy you know honestly like maybe the fit doesn't work but again throwing the best talent on the court and letting it run you can't really can't say too much about that but again like if you're talking about the best talent that it would have to be Kyrie, Dinwiddie, Levert, Mm. um, you know uh, KD, Allen and let everyone with the most talent the ability to break down defenders go one-on-one you know all the sorts of basketball skills Mm. that make people talented and, and see, that's that's just you know, uh, that's that's something I've noticed is like a fundamental disagreement like between you and I. It's just like what quantifies basketball talent, because I don't think basketball talent is just one on one ability. There's a lot more that goes into the game than, than just being able to put the ball on the floor and get a bucket over well, a defender. Not, it's not one on one ability, but like if we're just talking about basketball skills, like Levert can do more as a basketball he had, player like, than Joe Harris can. It, it, it boils Joe down Harris to quality over quantity. That's what I'm saying. Like, I give me the quantity, or the, the quality, excuse me, because, like, Karis LeVert can do a lot more things, sure, but I have Joe Harris who can do this thing at an elite level. Give me that elite level so talent. Now what you're, so now what you're talking about is fit, because you're talking about Joe That's Harris fit. around the court. No, because if, if we're and, talking about you know, who, who, who brings more value to a basketball court, Karis LeVert or Joe Harris? If you're talking about value, then you're talking about fit. If I'm talking value about value and fit, are not they're, they're not synonymous. They're not synonymous. Value and fit that's two well, different cause things. Because if we're if we're talking strictly talent, Karis Levert is a more talented player. Full stop. He can do more. One on one ability is not synonymous with basketball talent. These are two different things. So why not why not have Levert over Dinwiddie then? Levert over Din because Dinwiddie's better at basketball than Karis Levert. He's not a better shooter. And ball handling is like the same thing. The only thing he's better at is passing, but you have to have the ball in, the, in your hand to be able to pass the ball, and Kyrie's going to have the ball in his hand. I'm sorry, are we really having this argument? Dinwiddie's better at basketball than Karis LeVert. That's like I, indisputable. I, I mean, I, I I tend to agree, but why piss off one guy? Like, you're, you're who, like... Who am I you're, pissing you're off? Karis LeVert. You're, you're like crowning... Karis LeVert's like the seventh guy that I'm worried about on this roster, but pissing off. If I'm pissing off Karis LeVert, then I'm like, that's unfortunate. That's like that's like the seventh guy that I'm like worried about right now. Like I, I think Karis and mind you, like I think Karis LeVert can hoop. I think he's really good at basketball. I think he he's you know has underrated one on one scoring chops, but one on one scoring chops isn't all that it takes to play basketball. Like you can be not a good one on one scorer and be a very good basketball saying- player. So if one-on-one chops is not everything, and it is not everything, you're right, then it's synonymous on the four other players to do something for this player to make said player work. So we're talking about fit here. We're talking just about... Start, oh, just start you just jumped through a lot of hoops there, dog. It, 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 just, you, almost, you almost did it too, but now, no. That, you you jumped start, through a lot of hoops. No, like, I'm, I am, I'm, I'm dead. Like, talent is about creation ability. It's talking about you, said player... What so basketball create, talent is me, completely contingent team. on on creating for oneself and others. Uh, it's a lot it has to do. With I mean, on, on one on one end of the floor, sure. I'm talking about offense. Hmm. Like See, yeah, story. I mean that that's that's a fundamental disagreement because to me, if you're Davis Bertans like, or Kyle Korver or Joe Harris and you can shoot this thing at an elite level, that's talent. That that that's immense talent, right? So you can, so you can create. But how are you creating? You're creating for others via your gravity 
you know, within like this team dynamic where you can run around, you know, come and sure, on how team, you use you somebody's know, talent is is, is, is is what the fit ultimately is. But for me to say that the talent is what it is, that doesn't necessarily equate to fit. That's incumbent upon the coach to see, okay, how does your talent intersect with this guy's talent intersect with this guy's talent? Sure, we can talk about how talents intersect, but when we're talking about talent in general, what's more valuable? Joe Harris's shooting ability or Karis Levert's one-on-one ability? What's Joe more valuable? What's more? What's more I'm valuable? I'm sorry. What's more valuable, Dennis Schroeder or Wesley Matthews to a basketball court? That's actually extremely tough. I would probably go Dennis Schroeder. Oh, then just start him. I mean, I feel like this is a totally different. Yeah, I'm missing your point uh, there. Just, just start the most talent is what I'm saying then. I mean, start the most talent. No, that's no, no. Because what I'm saying is, I can overwhelm you. That's what you're saying. If I'm the Brooklyn Nets, I can overwhelm you with the amount of talent that I have if I throw it all out there at once. If I'm the Lakers, I can't do that. Yeah, you can't. I mean, because if you're. Oh, nah. If I throw out Dennis Schroeder and LeBron James and Montrez Harrell and Anthony Davis and Marcus Saul, I'm going to lose every game. Mark. Marcus All would not be in there. Marcus All would not be in there. Who'd be in there? Probably like KCP. I'm still losing. Like that's not enough. You know what I'm saying? That's not enough but, basketball no, no, ability for my, me to but overwhelm my, but you. My point. But the but Nets have that. En- they have enough. My point is that you keep saying Trez, Schroeder, and, and Braun because they're not really great shooters. That that's my point with Dinwiddie. He's not a good off the ball shooter. But my point is that all of this talent, when put together, it's not the most ideal fit, sure, but it's enough talent to overwhelm you. And it's enough talent that that fits together, at least in some sort of nebulous, that it can work. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like I'm just throwing all these random pieces together and making some sort of gumbo of a basketball team. This makes sense on paper. Combined with the fact that these are my five most talented basketball players. I feel like there's two different arguments going on right now. So I'm not going to hammer the Karis Levert one, but we can throw out a poll or something. Who do, you know, people think is more talented at basketball, Joe Harris or Karis Levert. And I don't know. I feel like there there are very dodgy definitions of talent going on here. You know, to me, it's just very clear. It's your ability to be good at basketball. But what defines being good at basketball? Is it just the ability to put the ball on the floor and, and, and go score on somebody? To create on offense is to create. Creation is not. I mean, creation is one form of being good at basketball, but I I would hesitate to say that's the only one. Well, then what else? What else can you do? Elite shooting. Talent. Yeah, so you're creating points. You're you're shooting. Oh, so you're but just saying you, you're just saying create. Cre- okay, okay. So we're on the same page then. If you you can create in different ways. But how do teams scheme up Joe Harris to make him? create those points is what i'm saying it requires fit within a team a certain process certain plays you know certain movements would it not the work the same way for karis him. levert i mean you could but well what i'm player, saying is like players ball, have abilities down a defender via one-on-one moves i'm saying is players have abilities right coaches are supposed to take those abilities and make them work with other players who have certain abilities Right, whether that ability is you're able to one on one, you're able to run a pick and roll very well, you have extremely good court vision. My job as the coach, I'm trying to make your abilities fit with other guys' abilities. But what I'm saying is, so, Joe Harris's ability is to shoot the ball at an elite level. Karis Levert's ability is to score one on one at a pretty good you level. Just, you, but give you me the elite the ability. Word, you just used the word fit, though. No, you I said a coach's job is yeah, to, because that's to, two separate discussions. You have your talent. That's what I'm. That's what we're talking about here. Is your talent, your basketball talent, and then now as the coach, I'm talking about how can I make this fit with everybody else. That's what Eddie's referring to is how you can scheme Joe Harris or scheme a guy like Karis LeVert. I'm talking about who are my five most talented basketball players, and that can come in the form of being really good at defense. I mean, Jared Allen's not creating for anyone. But Jared Allen is a talented basketball player because he has a lot of vertical gravity. The dude can that's, defend the rim pretty well. That, that That's one defender. And for a guy who values defense a lot more than one defender on the floor, I mean, that's pretty dangerous. I mean, Joe Harris can defend pretty well, too. Better than you would think. No, he's average. He's average. Kevin he's Durant average. can Better defend the ball pretty well. 
But what I'm saying before is that like, even, even then, oh wow, now you're now you're greasing it. Now you're greasing it. Before this Achilles injury. I, I, no, I mean I mean the Achilles takes your lateral, you know, quickness and you know speed and movement. That I mean his offense isn't really going to suffer. It's going to be his lateral movement. It's going to be his defense. Well, time will tell. But unfortunately, I guess, that I guess, oh, last, I guess just 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 uh, my last words. Joe Harris's abilities are maybe like 195% contingent on how a team uses him. Karis Levert, maybe like 10%, 15%. I'm just saying how a team uses you, that becomes a question of fit, right? What you can do for yourself is, to me, a question of talent. We can hammer this out some other day. But that's just the last word I want to get in. Yeah. Uh, difference in philosophy indeed. Um, but that'll do it for this episode, this longer-than-expected episode of Hoop and Holler. Thank you guys all so much for tuning in. As always, go follow the socials at SQR1Hoops. You know the deal. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time. This has been the Hoop and Holler podcast.